Hello, everybody, and welcome to Coruscant Radio Underground, the weekly Star Wars podcast by the ScienceFictionary.com. I'm Daniel Peoples, and joining me today, as usual, are the dynamic duo of goers, Marisha and Andrew. Hello. Hey, everybody. So we got a great show tonight. We've got more information on the new Resistance, Star Wars Resistance show. We've got some inform- a little bit of information on Episode 9, not a lot, but the big news this week, John Favreau dropped a bomb on us last night and gave us all kinds of information, or, or at least he opened the floodgates to new information on his new show, which apparently is called The Mandalorian. Compared to what yep. we knew about it before, he gave us all kinds of information. Well, he, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, we didn't know anything before. This I don't know it. if Daniel saw it, but I'm kind of glad we didn't get to record last night because we would have missed that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they dropped some more information this evening, including that first image. Yes, which is awesome. We'll get into all that, but uh, what's going on, everybody? Uh, what's new with you this week? Oh, we were talking a second ago about the Daredevil trailer. You haven't watched it yet, have you? I haven't. And it's going to be the first thing I'm going to do when we get done tonight. Well, then I can't really... <laughs> no, well, we can talk about it. I'm it, going to it watch sounds, it. You're, it not sounds, going to, you're not going to spoil a trailer for me. I, mean, I was about to say, it sounds strange to say spoiler alert for a trailer, but <laughs> I guess that's where we are now. Trailers are such a big deal that uh, you don't want to spoil them either. No, but, I uh, want to know what you thought about it, though. That, well, first of all, that the Daredevil series is the best Netflix Marvel series. Yes. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And uh, I really like that Jessica Jones show. And we talked a little bit about Iron Fish. Y'all know how I feel about that. <laughs> no, we haven't. But, Why don't you tell us? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. I did start Iron Fish se- season two, and it is better. I was really curious. I'm I still mean... not 100% happy with it, but it is better. The thing about those shows is I don't want a season three Luke Cage. I don't want a season three Iron Fist. I want Daughters of the Dragon with Misty mm-hmm. and Colleen, and I want Heroes for Hire with yep. Danny and and Luke, because at least Danny's better moments are when he is with Luke. Hmm. Anytime he, anytime Luke's not in the scene with him, I just at least him being with Luke makes it better. His the the one episode of Luke Cage season two he was in, I enjoyed their interaction better than. I did when they were in Defender. So I do think there's more potential there than another solo Iron Fist series. But the way Luke Cage ended and the way, and I haven't finished Iron Fist yet, but the way I'm pretty sure Iron Fist season two ends doesn't really leave us open to either one of those series. So it's irritating. Those are the two shows I want. All right. Well, uh, let's jump on into Star Wars and take a look at the first thing here on our show notes. Did you get a chance to watch the second Resistance trailer? The, the extended sneak peek. Yes. I did. What did you think? I didn't like that trailer until we got to the point in the trailer where they actually tied it into the resistance and the fight against the First Order. The first half of that trailer where it's just the crew and the racing and none of that interests me at all. But whenever we got to the point where they actually illustrated how it does tie to the resistance and having a battle against the First Order got involved. I, I, I enjoyed it after that. That excites me. So I think the, the second half of the trailer was better than the first, I guess. I, I, I thought this was so much better than that first trailer. I really liked, uh, I'll let Marisha go ahead and say what she was saying, but uh, I really enjoyed this trailer a lot more. I really felt like this should have been what they showed us first. I think so. And you got a yeah. little more was- of a, like a, you got a tone from this. You really didn't get any 
you know, the takeaway from the first trailer was like, and here's some stuff. You didn't like get much of like a feel of any, you know, like kind of how the, the show was going to, I mean, you, you saw how it was going to look, but you didn't get any kind of feel for like what it was going to sound like, what the humor was going to be like, what the interactions were going to be like when we got some more of that in that second trailer. I was going to say, I, I agree with Marisha. I like this trailer better than the first, but again, the, the first half of it still did not get me, you know, it, yeah. it took the, uh, so. Well, what I, what I took away from the, even the first half of it though, it just, it looked more exciting than anything in that original trailer looked to, to me. It yeah. just, it just, the, the, everything looked better about it to me. I mean, it just, you know, I, I don't know. I, that got me interested in the show where the first trailer just kind of left me going, I don't really know. That's exactly what it was. Like I said, once the, once the first order got involved with the trailer and the, and the resistance, you could see how it does all actually tie in. That was when I started enjoying it. Nothing about the first part of that trailer interested me at all. So, well, my kids were mostly interested in dictating which costumes they wanted. That was mostly right. what they were. They were like, "Ooh, I like that one with the little buns," and I won. Yeah, that was pretty much how the trailer <laughs> viewing went in my house. Because Mama can just whip those things right out, right? <laughs> I don't know about whip those things right out. If they would stay out from under my feet for, you know, an hour at a time, I might could, but alas. Well, I tell you, if, if you're able to pull off some of the stuff that, that you do in an hour, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, you, I look at the stuff you make and just think that had to take her weeks. Yeah, most of it does. Most of it does. So occasionally something will like, the stars will all kind of align and it'll all come together perfectly but sometimes like when we got to dragon con and dahlia tried her costume on she was supposed to be hella but all the green stuff peeled off her costume when we were trying it on yeah andrew told me about that yeah it was sad Hmm. we put a shield patch on her shoulder and a belt with the black widow symbol and we're like no you're black widow have fun did you read the uh sci-fi wire uh, article that i posted about resistance yeah about it um having some deep cuts and going to tie in. But no, the the thing I found interesting about that article was supposedly it's the the show starts set only 6 months before Force Awakens. Yeah, which is uh, just crazy to me. It really right. is. Like so it's not going to take long for us to get concurrent Mm-mm. with Force Awakens like No, it, yeah, it really shouldn't. Tie in because it's going to happen at the same time, so it's going to have to tie in. So well, and the thing is, The Last Jedi takes place so quickly after The Force Awakens. Yep. It's really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure they've thought it through. I'm sure that they're not yeah, just. I mean, we're going to get the Battle of Crate and everything in this series, like in the first couple seasons, at, at, you know, yeah. if nothing else. Well, it was interesting in their reason for placing that so close. I like, I still think that it's kind of weird and, and wish there was some, some time there. But the only thing I can figure I, is because they go ahead. Well, I was going to say in the article, you know, they basically talked about with this being made for, you know, the target audience being younger children. I did say that. And talking about trying to say, well, this is set 10 years before something. Yeah. That's true. It's kind of it. it's kind of right. nebu- kind of nebulous to a kid, yeah. but you can say this happens right before the Force Awakens, and, and they you go, have okay. that character. You got Poe Dameron in there to tie it all in to the Force Awakens, right? 
And for those children, that's more instantly relatable in a it's time It's more tangible. Frame. Right. That does make sense. I did read that part of the article also. That's right. That They also say that when this show starts, the it's like the first order, it really the first order yet. They're just out there kind of as an idea. Right. Just sort of this vague thing going on. So I guess it does sort of fit the background story for the movie that the Republic really wasn't prepared for what happened to them with the First Order because the First Order sort of established itself and became a presence so quickly. Starkiller Base was this thing that somehow or another they converted this whole planet into a weapon without anybody noticing. Because they were kind of so, fringe. Right, exactly. That they they happened, they came up, they came into being and executed their plan so quickly they really took the Republic by surprise. They're pretty much the sense, Nazis. Which makes sense, right, which makes sense for what we saw in Force Awakens. So I guess right. saying that this happened six months before kind of makes sense if you want it to be such a big surprise to the, to the, uh, to the Senate, That's to true. the New Republic. So I guess that all does kind of make sense. Well, we've got a little more. Like one of the things I kept seeing the trailer and I kept seeing that gold stormtrooper. I'm sure you noticed that. I did. And I kept... I well, I kept going, it's Captain Phasma, and the lighting is just weird. Yeah. That's what I thought. Well, the toy lines uh, were announced at uh, New York Comic Con earlier today uh, for this show. I think they're putting out eight action figures, and one of them is well, that character who I believe is Commander Pyre, hmm. P-Y-R-E. Okay. Like, But well, we Pyre. did see Captain Phasma in this trailer, yes, right? Phasma, voice. Phasma is Gwen in that Stacey trailer as well. Now. Yep. Yeah. Faz Gwendolyn Christie's voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So those are actually two different characters as well as the red armored stormtrooper. Cause I kind of wondered about the, the, the gold storm, you know, cause the kids were asking about it. Well, it, it looks just like Phasma's it armor, does. except it's gold. And right. I just was convinced that it was the lighting, but it's actually a new character, which I'm okay with. Yeah. That'll be interesting. It'd be neat. You would think there's some kind of connection between he and Phasma. Oh yeah, for the, to 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 be the only ones like that with that armor. Mm -hmm. This it's you know the the gold you know the metallic looking armor. Yeah, then, there's something. Then yeah, there's got to be some sort of connection, and it may be <laughs> that that character is going to serve because I'm sure Gwendolyn Christie wasn't available for ever you know to to do right. for every episode, and it may be that that character serves as sort of a stand-in when she's not around. Right. Well, they they probably did a lot of the. I mean, I know a lot of the production for this show and also the filming of Game of Thrones happened about the same time. Yeah. So, And she's sort of actually wonder. still miraculously managed to be alive on Game of Thrones, doesn't she? So far, when, when the last <laughs> season ended, she was still alive. Still alive in the books, too. But, yeah, uh, I think I'll let me through that. I was kind of hoping the show would... I'm kind of hoping the show will actually give us more Captain Phasma because we didn't get... Yeah. What we were promised with her for the movies at all. No. So which is kind of honestly is as much of a, a point that they were making by having one of the important villains be female, I feel like it wasn't diplomatic of them to underuse her so well, much as they did. There's that, but it's one of those things, I mean, when you look at putting that many characters and trying to make that many characters central in a story, yeah. It's really hard to give them all fair time, which is actually what's really incredible about what Marvel's been doing is, yeah. is doing these huge movies Ensembles, with yeah. all these 
important characters and give right. and, and you leave the movie and you go, okay, they kind of all got a fair shake. Yeah. So that's a rare thing to have that many characters in a movie and not have some fall through the cracks. Yeah. And I think that's unfortunately what has happened with Phasma. But after the first movie, everyone was like, we want more Phasma. And then the second movie, they were like, okay, you get her for 30 seconds this time. Well, I, I mean, I'm not convinced that Phasma's gone. I, I still think we're going to get something with Phasma coming up. And uh, we'll take that about Captain Phasma and jump right on into the little bit of stuff we've got about Episode Nine, which was an interview with Dominic Monaghan from a podcast, I believe, called Distraction Pieces Podcast. Did everybody get a chance to either listen to or read that interview? Uh, I did. Yeah. I didn't. It's right there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no. I don't know. I, I didn't get anything interesting from it other than the fact that at least we've confirmed that it's not just a cameo that we're actually going to get a significant role from him, which is cool. Right. And it sounds like as they're going, that it, it may be a character that, that JJ is maybe increasing the role that he's going to play in the movie. Now, if only they would just cast Billy Boyd to be his sidekick, then I mean, I couldn't told ask you. for anything more. In a Star <laughs> yeah, Wars so movie. we can get hobbits in Star Wars. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, you do know, uh, going back to resistance for just a second that, um, it was confirmed last week, I believe, that Elijah Wood is doing a guest appearance. That's right. <laughs> on, on Resistance, yes. But no, I'm excited because Dominic Monaghan, he's a, he's a little bit of a... The characters he typically plays are a lot different than the characters that we've seen in the sequel trilogy so far. Does that make sense? I, 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 ex- I, I kind of expect him to be something different. Like, not necessarily, you know, another mechanic or a pilot or imperial officer i kind of expect him to be something a little different i mean the thing is the 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 kind of actor he is i mean he could really pop up on either side and i still think that it's possible some of these characters play more of a rogue element i wouldn't be surprised if he comes you know to be something well i mean we've we've always had our characters that are not necessarily empire or rebellion especially when we go to places like coruscant Right. You know, we, we've always got our characters that are, you know, mm-hmm. our pirates, our rogues, our people who are just trying to stay out of the way of the war. They're people who are going to go home and rethink their lives. <laughs> right. Because they don't want to sell death sticks anymore. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, and it, it sounds like he's playing a character that's a, that may turn out to be a pretty important character, which is cool. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people, including myself, were kind of assuming he might show up for a couple minutes and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Or like Daniel Craig's cameo in The Force Awakens. Like, he was one of those stormtroopers. <laughs> it was cool when we found out which one, though. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, from there, we'll jump right on down to what is my favorite news of the week is mm-hmm. last night, um, which I'm really glad we didn't record last night because I don't know that we would have gotten this on the episode this week. John Favreau on his Instagram account released a statement that's titled The Mandalorian, and it reads... After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the travels of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. So, you can give us a lot, but I <laughs> that mean... That is enough. It's something. I mean, That's we've been awesome. we've been waiting and wanting to know and... And I think that's one of the things people keep saying, like, can't, you know, in Rebels, they're like, yeah, I mean, that's all great, but can't we see more Mandalorians? All of the Mandalorians would be so happy. 
at Dragon Con next year, they will just be happy and not complain anymore about not having enough Mandalorian. Well, I am not a. How do I put this without getting? Daniel tons doesn't of like Mandalorian hate mail. <laughs> yeah, it's not that I don't like Mandalorians. I'm not a huge Mandalorian fanboy. I, I do think some of the lore surrounding them is pretty cool, but I, I'm just it's just not my thing. My Star Wars is Jedi's and you know, fighter pilots like most people. Well, to an extent, I agree with that. And I've always wondered, and and I'm excited about this partially for that reason. At least they're doing this on TV and not in a theater because I've always been curious as to, and I believe that it will, but how will, will, how will Star Wars stand when it tries to move away from the force and the Jedi? Because really, that's at the core of the fan, of what the fandom expects, expects and loves about yeah. Star Wars, and I think it's going to be fine. I mean, the, the novels have always done fine when they've moved away from right. those things. D- despite my stance on Mandalorians, who I don't dislike, I just don't get overly excited for them. This show excites me. I didn't get real excited when I read the synopsis because I really was kind of like Mandalorians. <laughs> like I can't get one Force user, but then I saw the picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The picture's awesome. Well, that picture, and it's so simple. It's just Mm -hmm. a guy standing there in a suit of armor that we've seen a thousand times at this point with the background that looks very Tatooine, Jakku-esque sort of background to it. So it's not not like it's anything we haven't seen before, but it looks so authentic that I was like, okay, that, that looks like Star Wars. I'm in. Right. And... The gunfighter part of it, we're going to get kind of a space western, which I sort well, of like. I think that's exactly what we're getting. And I'm not even sure, you know, the story was, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we discussed this was that it was going to center around Mandalore, the fall of the Empire. But now it kind of looks like we're following this Mandalorian warrior off on a space yep. western adventure away from he's, the he's core planet. He's planning man with no name, wandering yeah. around. Texas and Mexico. Which does beg the question. He's clearly a Mandalorian. This is his I this is the only identifier we even have for him currently. Why is he left Mandalore? They're gonna have to give us a lot more story because you kind of get the impression that Mandalorians really aren't in the habit of just up and leaving. The ones that you see sort of wandering around you, like you see Sabine, she's out, she's doing things, but it's not necessarily a hit back home because she should be staying home and doing home things. So why is he, why is he left? Is there, you know, what is, I, th- I think we will get some information on what has happened on Mandalore. Maybe he's in exile, which Maybe. could add a very interesting backstory to a character. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an, that would be an interesting one anyway, because that's the part of the old original, not now non-canon Boba Fett story was that he was an exiled Mandalorian mm-hmm. from the protectors of conquered dawn. Yeah. And if, if, if Favreau had not used the words after Django and Boba Fett, I would have been sitting here wondering, is this Boba Fett? I hope it's because, you know, we were supposed to get a Boba Fett video game that got canceled when Disney bought Lucasfilm. Because they, they scrapped um, LucasArts altogether. Right, like it doesn't exist anymore. To Lucasfilm and LucasArts, before the Disney buyout, wanted to expand Boba Fett's story. And they never got to do that. So I was, you know, like I said, if he hadn't, I've already, I sort of feel like his statement excludes it being Boba Fett. But I think it would have been really interesting if it would have been. You know, although that being said, he could have completely 
changed his identity. You know, I mean, it could still conceivably be Andrew now, Shakespeare. I don't think it's going to be Boba no, Fett so because, either. like, you know, we're getting a, a warrior here where. That's I mean, true. Boba Fett's a, a bounty hunter. He's not a. You know, this is. Plus, we're. I mean, the indication here is that this character is actually Mandalorian. Right. Boba Fett's not. Not, as far as we're aware in canon, Jango and Boba Fett are not Mandalorians. Even if Jango was but Mandalorian, they've then... never they've never excluded them from being Mandalorian. They have. When, okay, well that's something I'm not aware of. When did that happen? Um, that is actually from the Mandalorian arc in the Clone Wars. Okay, where I must have missed those episodes. I don't remember a Mandalorian arc in the Clone Wars. Yeah, no, you do. That's where we meet Satine, Duchess Satine. Rebels, honey. That's in Rebels. Oh, is that in Rebels? Oh, no, no. no you're right. You're right. No, that's in Clone Wars. You're right. That is in Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. And Sorry, you said Satine. Now, now Obi-Wan tells Rebel. someone, asks someone about Jango Fett. Yeah. You know, you know, and the story, at least what we get, we don't know that he's not just, that they 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 deny him. Maybe he's an exile. Uh, we do. They know, don't acknowledge him, right. As being Mandalorian, because basically, when Obi Wan asks, I can't remember the character's name, but he asks the character about this Mandalorian that he fought, and he his answer is basically, he's not a Mandalorian. I don't know where he got that armor. Um, now he is from the planet. I remember. I remember the episodes with Duchess Satine. I completely blanked on that conversation. Well, I thought that that was the case, and I went looking for it last night, and that's what I found. And now, like I said, it may just be that they don't accept him. He is from the planet Conquered Dawn, Dawn, which is a planet in Mandalorian space. That's where the um, the the holdouts are. That's where Finn Rouse. Um, yeah. But you know, there are Mandalorians there on Conquered Dawn, and Conquered Dawn is a big part of the original Boba Fett story. But as far as we know in canon, Jango was not actually a Mandalorian, which I still maintain because I think we've discussed this before. And I actually, that disappoints me a little bit because you go back to the Jedi Mandalorian Wars. And so you have this moment where if he is a Mandalorian, where a Mandalorian allowing himself to be cloned into this army that finally bested the Jedi, right, is I it think sort of a, adds something to the backstory for sure. Right, I I find that to be a much more intriguing story than well, you know, he's just some guy that wears Mandalorian armor. Well, but we don't. I don't know. But we haven't gotten enough enough Boba Fett or Jango Fett story for them to have ever really fleshed that out. So hopefully down the road but, we'll get something that fleshes that out a little bit boba fett's origin and really the origin of the clones period which i did actually grow to like the clones when they saw when they fleshed out some of the individual characters rex yeah when know. they when they when they made the clones feel a little more relatable yeah mm-hmm. instead but of just i, I was never one of my biggest problems with the prequels when they first happened was i hated the origin of the of the clones and 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 Boba Fett's origin, because I was like you, the idea of this rogue Mandalorian warrior was just cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And the the clones, that was never the image any fan ever had in his head for why the Clone Wars were called the Clone Wars. You know, it was supposed to be a clone rebellion, literally like there were societies in the galaxy who used clones as slaves, and there was this big, you know, clone revolt. And that to me was the cooler story. That's what I wanted to see. But for me, the original 
originally when I saw it, the origin of the clones was really disappointing to me, period, anyway. And tying into Boba's origin, I never I never really, still don't really like the way that went. I did grow to like the clones, though. It took me a little while, but I did grow <laughs> to appreciate some of them individually. Yeah. But yeah, I still hope that we'll get some more story on that. And, and I still hope that eventually the story resolves that for sure. Because we don't have this like definite, they're not Mandalorians statement. But we at least know that the Mandalorians on Mandalore proper don't acknowledge them. Yeah. So that was the news that we got dropped on us last night. And that was it. And then this evening while we were eating dinner... Because uh, we're going to have to go through this next part, and I'm going to have to try to edit my show notes as we go. Because we got some stuff dropped this evening that turned what were rumors this morning um, into facts. And okay. so, so the first the first thing I have listed on the show notes is that Dave Filoni to direct an episode, possibly two. And that was confirmed that he is at, that he's directing the, the, first, the episode. first episode. He's directing yes. episode one of The Mandalorian. And there were five directors named on the list this evening, which still leaves room for him to direct two of those episodes. So... Right. Um, and I'm I'm super excited about that. I'm excited to see him step into doing live action and see what he can do. Mm-hmm. He's done such an incredible job with with his with the animation department at Lucasfilm. And you know, this may be the first step to maybe down the road seeing him do a live action movie or or his own television show. It does seem like a logical transition for him. I am a little surprised that Favreau didn't direct the first episode, though. It's, I think it's a little weird to give Filoni the first episode. I do too. Um, I'm Maybe not, he'll do the last one. I'm not totally sure if 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 Favreau Favreau we know he's producing and writing, mm-hmm. um, but we got no confirmation that he's directing an episode at all. Uh, if he does, I'm suspecting it'll be the finale. Uh, now that we know that Filoni's directing the pilot, um, I just assumed that. Favreau was going to do the first one, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't guess it matters either way. Well, uh, did you see some of the they, other names they've got though? Well, that's uh, for the other five directors. I did not. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was the thing that was. We already knew that there were rumors that were persistent. They kept coming up over and over again that there would be five directors for season one, and we got that confirmed tonight, and we got a full list and. Uh, the first one I've got here, of course, is Dave Filoni. And then we've got mm-hmm. Deborah Chow, who you may know as the director for the Jessica Jones series. Right. Um, Which I love. I'm going to butcher this next name because I have no idea how you pronounce it, but it's Rick Famuyiwa, who did a movie called Dope. I don't know a whole lot else about him. He's Nigerian. American. Oh, yeah. But I we kind of read a synopsis of his show Dope, and I'm actually movie. like, movie. oh, his movie Dope, and I'm actually like excited to go check that one out now. It sounded good. Right. Yep. We've got Bryce Dallas Howard doing an episode. Ooh. I guess uh, Star Wars is going to be a Howard family thing here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the that looks interesting. And then the last one, which I'm super pumped about, is Taika Waititi. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> So we got our five directors uh, there, and I am not disappointed at all in that list. No, I'm, 
I'm, I'm not excited. disappointed, but the the Bryce Dallas Howard thing is a little Dallin's kind of strange. It's a little has strange. She ever directed she anything has. at all? She has. There's she's got a, a movie she did called Soulmates. I know nothing about it, but it won't be her. I don't know anything about that either. It won't be her first turn in the director's chair, and certainly, I will tell you hopefully, her. she has learned something from <laughs> from her father, who is. You know, hands down, one of the director. the best directors ever. Her father is my favorite director of all time. I love Ron Howard. We've been watching I'm the Andy Griffith show. I just didn't know if she ever directed anything she, before. She does, and I didn't look through all of her credits, but she does have at least one credit as a director. Okay. Well, cool then. Yeah, Andrew's been having a good time trying to explain to the kids that Opie on the Andy Griffith show that we've been watching directed mm-hmm. Solo. I don't think they understand yeah. how that is a thing. <laughs> it's pretty cute. So our, we know the writing is going to be all writing, and the main producer is, of course, John Favreau. Uh, executive producers on the project are Favreau, Dave Filoni, Kathleen Kennedy, and Colin Wilson. I don't know the last one. Um, and then the co-executive producer is Karen Gilchrist, who was a producer on... Iron, Iron Man. Man 1 and 2. Yep. And Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and Aliens, yep. Mm-hmm. And I know that one didn't do very well, but I enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. <laughs> I did too. That, that movie got a bum rap. It's, that movie's fine. That's a good, it's like you said, it's fun. I like that movie too. Uh, we so also, that's basically the list you would expect as far as producers. Yeah. Like I said, I, I'm not familiar with Colin Wilson. I might mm-hmm. should be, but I didn't get a chance to look it up. Uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty much the ones you would expect. And I was excited to see that Filoni will be an executive producer on it because as previously mentioned, and, and of course there's been photos of Filoni and Favreau hanging out at Skywalker Ranch here lately. And, you know, of course Filoni is the creative heir apparent to, to George yeah. Lucas at, at Lucasfilm. And so it's good to see him involved in this project. Yeah, it seems like they're really trying to expand his, his roles. Well, I mean, so. the, the fans love him. He's good at what he does. He's knowledgeable and he's creative. And he's a guy that if you've got him in your pocket, if you don't continue to expand his role, somebody's going to snatch him up for you're something. Missing well, well, you're missing yep. out. Well, you're missing out and he's going to move on. And I mm-hmm. think it speaks well, him being a producer on this, I think it speaks well of their, that they're looking for continuity. You know, he's he's been with, you know, the, Lucas animation forever. You know, he worked with George Lucas. I think it, him continuing to, to work on the, the next big TV project speaks well for them. Make, you know, everything kind of being um, coherent, you know, and kind of con- right. interconnected. So we've got those. We've also got today we got some information on who may be the cinematographer. And we had a Greg Fraser who was the cinematographer for Rogue One. Ooh. Right. And I actually, after as soon as I saw that picture tonight, because I read that earlier today, and then I saw that picture tonight, and I went, yeah, I, I can totally see that look, that, that Rogue One look mm-hmm. in that image. Um, we've got John Lord Booth as the art director, who was the art director for Jungle Book and Kong Skull Island, both of which, you know, Jungle Book was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Kong CGI Skull Island, the movie was a little lackluster, but it was still beautifully done. Oh, I like. And then we've got a costume designer, and I'm going to defer a little bit to Marisha on that one. Uh, costume designer by the name of Joseph Poro. Yeah, I went, you know, kind of look looking up, you know, some of the things he's done. 
And I was really intrigued. His he's he's a really varied. He's done a lot of different kinds of things. He did the original Stargate back in the day. The movie. The original Stargate movie, yes, okay. which great. was just the really great thing about the look for Stargate, especially the alien cultures, is it felt connected to to things that are historical, like historical trends and like you know egyptian the the costumes looked like you would expect egyptian gods to look you know looking at egyptian artwork it was you know more fantastical and a little different but not so different that it was like that's just weird um and he's done some other things recently he's doing salem which i have not watched because I don't like creepy stuff, but I did look at um, the images for the costumes and something that always really jerks me out of a period film is whenever the costumes, they just, okay, um, the worst offender for this was the Camelot show or the King Arthur show a couple of years ago. Is that what, yeah. Um, And like every once in a while a character would come out in a costume and it's like, it just did, it was, it, they may have been cool looking, but they didn't feel in any way tied to the era. Or um, Rain is another terrible offender for that one. Um, where some of the costumes are just beautiful, but they don't look medieval at all. They, or, uh, they don't look uh, Renaissance at all, rather. And I was looking at the costumes for, for Salem, and some of them are very, they do bizarre things. They're not, you know, sometimes the materials are different. But if you look at them from a distance, they still look like they fit. And I feel like that's important for a Star Wars movie because it needs a sense of consistency. consistency. It needs to fit. Yes, it needs to like not just be something totally out there, but it also needs to be definitely needs to be innovative and different. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see some of the things that he's going to do. And like I said, he's got some a really hugely varied list he did iron man 3 i think so yeah lots of really different sorts of things he's also done a lot of like fashion design in asia like in china he's got like a huge chinese uh, fashion line so i'm excited as as a costume person the other thing that he did recently that i'm that i really i mean i just enjoyed in general but i really liked the costumes for was the orville i actually the first time i saw the orville i was like i didn't realize that I was actually, of course, you know me, I'm always like, oh, look at that costume. And they were great. They were, the costumes are a lot more interesting a did lot of times. Did he design the crew costumes? Or he, did... As far as I can tell, he designed all of them. Okay. Because the crew costumes are the incredible. The crew costumes are show. incredible, yeah. But, you know, they've got lots of different kind of characters and different kind of costumes doing interesting things. But it all kind of works together. So that was whenever I saw that that was one of his credits. I was really excited about that because the first time we sat down and watched the Orville, I was like, hey, that's a really cool looking costume. We need that. Mm. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do. Pretty well, much. I wasn't excited for him at all until you just said all that because uh, <laughs> all Andrew told me was he did the costumes for Masters of the Universe about <laughs> 20 years hey. ago. And those were awful. Yeah. Now I'm excited. He also he did the Power Rangers the movie. Yeah, yeah, he's gotten better. He, he's gotten better as time has passed. Maybe he actually has a budget now. <laughs> yeah, that's true too. So the the final rumor is that there are eight total episodes for the show, which which I think is perfect. I wish Netflix I do. would do that. I was kind of hoping for a little more length there, but 
I mean, they're basically, if the rumors are true, they're basically saying eight up eight episodes is what we needed to tell this story. And I'm absolutely fine with not yes. having to have filler episodes to get to extend yeah. a season. Don't yes. water it down. Do not water it down. No, no, I would I, rather have eight episodes of an awesome show than 13 of a mediocre one. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Well, in that we didn't go with five episodes. It was they, I, it's always refreshing to see the things work around the story instead of being like, okay, here are the constraints. It's got to be each episode has to be this length, you know, um, and we have to have this many episodes. No, no, we can't have that many episodes. We have to have six, you know, and to see, be like, this is a story and then make it work around that. Well, and what made what actually made me happy about if the rumors are true that basically they said eight episodes is exactly what we need to tell the story. And Disney said, or Lucasfilm said, okay, eight episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there were no constraints of, no, you got to fit it in in six. Or, no, we need to stretch it out to 12. Or, you know, he said, eight episodes? They said, make eight episodes. And so that's, I'm, I'm excited about that. So anything else on The Mandalorians? Any more thoughts or anything before we move on? So well, as far as The Mandalorians go, uh, The Mandalorian goes, um, most of those most of the rumors there came from uh, makingstarwars.net, which is always just a fantastic source for Star Wars news. You can go over there and you can find a lot of pretty cool photos of the sets from The Mandalorian, which was kind of neat because you could kind of tell it was like a bizarre kind of thing, like a, like an outdoor market kind of place from the pictures, but you couldn't tell a lot about it. And then when we saw that picture tonight, it's, you can tell that it's in that set. Yeah. And you can kind of see like what they're doing. Like, because when you look at the pictures of, of the set from a distance, you're kind of going, well, that just doesn't look like anything. anything. Yeah. And then when you see that actual shot from there, you go, wow, that's amazing. They're always great for checking out stuff. And of course, uh, that official news on, all the producer, all the directors and producers and everything tonight came from uh, StarWars.com. Star Wars yeah, well, from StarWars.com, <laughs> but we saw it on the Star Wars show. It's true. <laughs> because isn't that what everyone does with their kids while they're eating dinner? Is watch the Star watch Wars show. backlog episodes of the Star Wars show. Okay, so since we recorded, because we missed last week, there's been a couple of things that have come out. Uh, the first one we'll touch on here is. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, according to Hollywood Reporter and a few other outlets, I haven't seen an actual statement from Kennedy or from Lucasfilm, from Lu from Lucasfilm or Disney, like that was like their official release. But I mean, Hollywood Reporter is a, I mean, they've been doing this a long time. And they're a very reputable outlet. There's no reason to not believe that it's true. Almost like mm. her contract has been extended through 2021. So a three-year extension to her contract. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there, like, you know, screaming in their pillow <laughs> over the <laughs> news and others that are celebrating maybe a little too much. But I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of indifferent. Like, you know, there's some things that I haven't really liked the way they've gone at Lucasfilm, you know, over the last couple of years. But I generally try to stay positive about Star Wars because it's something I enjoy and I, I I don't like getting you know letting myself get too negative about it. But you know, Last Jedi, yeah, I had complaints about it. It's a but the other side of that is it's a incredibly well made film. 
it, but it's kind of like Iron Man three in that it just like, you kind of look at it and you go, where does this uh, belong? Iron Man three is my least favorite Marvel movie, but I think that it's still a well-made movie, but it doesn't fit with the other Iron Man movies. No, it doesn't. And, it, and I kind of felt that way about parts of the last Jedi, although we've discussed that at length and there's no reason to go into that particular thing again, but no. you know, it's really, I think for me and you both, it's really one part of the story that really throws us off in the last Jedi. And frankly, I don't know as far as like telling the writers what to put in and what not. I don't really know what the producers, you know, I don't know the extent of her power there. Uh, Cause there's also well, been the- some news lately. I mean, clearly Bob Iger is still fairly heavily involved in the runnings of Lucasfilm. Right. We've talked about all this at length. The The issue with the way the Star Wars part of, or the way Lucasfilm has been ran since Disney bought it, is with these with this sequel trilogy, and we're just repeating ourselves, I sound like a broken record again, they never had a plan from the start. They never sat down and came up with one story to go through three films so they all would have some connective tissue. That's why... Last Jedi feels so disjointed because not only is Kathleen the the head of Lucasfilm production wise, she's the creative head. That right. that all falls in her realm. Right. Making sure those things happen, and they didn't do a very good job of that. There needs to be some more. I don't, I don't know what the word is. The stand the standalone film Rogue One and Solo are both excellent. You know, those are both in my top half of Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Rogue One is in my top three. Right. I love Rogue One. And, the, and so that's the thing is like, I'm hoping that they're trending towards making some changes. I think they're realizing their errors and we'll get to some of that in a minute with Bob, Bob Iger's comments last week. The, the thing is, cause I was sitting back thinking about it earlier and I was kind of like, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's like, if you fire her, you're literally firing one of the top producers to, ever work in the industry doesn't make her a very good creative head of a studio that's the thing and and i'm i'm hoping that that's part of what is happening with widening people like dave filoni's impact you know moving him into some of this live action stuff and mm-hmm. i'm hoping that maybe some cues are being taken from people who've been there and are the more creative people and and it's one of those things it's like they've made four movies under the disney banner and three of them are really good that, this is true this is, I mean, it's true. I did think it was funny to watch the people who all said she was getting fired backtrack and say, well, nobody else wanted it. JJ didn't want it. And they <laughs> offered it this person they didn't want, which is preposterous. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. No, that's... Another, not one producer, not one other producer or filmmaker in Hollywood wanted to be the head of, of the, at, at worst, second most profitable right. property in the world right now. Are right. you serious? Yeah, no, people that's are, people are ridiculous trying to backtrack and save face. Oh no, and there's we we yeah, all Disney know. I'm not her. sure if I want to name names or not, mm-hmm. but we all know kind of who we're talking about. That I, I just laugh my ass off. You can't you can't take anything that particular woman says seriously at all. But no, they're holding a rant. Yeah, but I don't. I have no no issue with with her contract being extended for three more years. I she's she's mid project. I mean, one you don't let. I, I, I don't see letting someone go. And I mean, because she's not just middle of this project of episode nine and whatever's coming after. They're also in the middle of 
making a an, an Indiana Jones movie. Untitled just, Indiana Jones Five is on her right on her her list currently. We could talk about that too, but it's not Star Wars because I have my own opinions about the Indiana Jones movie too. You have opinions? I Say it guess. ain't so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we didn't have opinions, we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> there you go. It's, it would be better if we had opinions people wanted to listen to. <laughs> What are your thoughts, Marisha, on About, uh, Kathleen Kennedy coming back for three more years? I wouldn't have been devastated if they said that she was leaving, honestly, because I feel like it, you, you, you can't ever know from where I'm sitting whose fault things are. But there has been a lot of drama surrounding directors. This is the director. Nope, we fired them. We got somebody new, you know, kind of things happening there's just been a lot of bad press about star wars there was rogue one there's a lot of talk about all the reshoots and the you know all the you know there's drama there's and then there was clearly you know colin trevorrow was gonna direct episode nine and then he wasn't and um then they fired the directors for solo so clearly there are some issues with i and you know it may not be her but i'm hoping since they they have extended her contract for another three years, that that means that, you know, I, I think that they can acknowledge that things haven't gone perfectly. But I'm hoping the fact that they have committed to another three years with her means that they're looking to fix the things. Well, I, th- I think things, and, and we're going to get to some of what Bob Iger said in a minute, which doesn't have to deal with Kennedy, but it does have to deal with the future of Star Wars and he takes a lot of the weight on his own shoulders for some of the problems. Um, yeah, he did. Like I said, I have no problem with bringing Kathleen Kennedy back. I think they're already doing some things to right the ship in some of these areas where, and this is not even getting into whether I like The Last Jedi or didn't, because I did like it. I have problems with it. I'm not one of these people that thinks it's one of the worst movies ever made, because those people are frankly nuts. Uh, but it's also got to hear people screaming about it being the best movie ever made or even just the best Star Wars movie, and it's just not. No. But it, it is it is a well-made movie. Have it's problems a with it. movie. But we're, I think just the start of, of riding the ship was bringing J.J. back to finish his vision for this. And I think a lot it? of the problems yeah. that were created... In, or e- even if they're just perceived problems with the direction of the story from episode eight, that he can correct those things right. in episode nine. Right. I wouldn't be him for anything. I can't believe I he agreed to come back and do that. He's JJ. He's got, he's got so much goodwill built up. It'd be all right. All right. So um, the last little bit of news that we had here was a statement from Bob Iger. Closely related to the last conversation. Um, kind of. This was a little bit from an interview, and I'm forgetting. I had a note who did the original interview, but I'm not seeing it here. Anyway, it was a whole interview about just Disney across the board. I mean, it's a long article, him talking about all sorts of, all the different Disney properties, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm. But the reporter asked him a specific question, and the question was, many believe Disney should pump the brakes and not put out a Star Wars movie each year. Uh, Bob Iger responded by saying, I made the timing decision, and as I look back, I think the mistake that I made, I take the blame, was a little too much too fast. You can expect some slowdown, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make films. 
J.J. Abrams is busy making episode nine. We have creative entities, including Game of Thrones creators David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are also developing sagas of their own, which we haven't been specific about. And we are just at that point where we're going to start making decisions about what comes next after J.J.'s. But I think we're going to be a little bit more careful about volume and timing. And the buck stops here on that. Honestly, that is the reason that he's the president of Disney. Because whenever somebody can, whenever something doesn't go well, stands up and says, I'm the boss, instead of blaming all of his subordinates. Well, he could have, I mean, he could have thrown everybody under He could under have the thrown bus. everybody under the bus. And, and that definitely speaks well of right. the... Leadership? Yes, of, of his leadership. Because that's that's one of the things that makes somebody... A leader's is even if it wasn't all actually his screw up that he's taken the right. Well, it's no different than a football coach. I mean, one of the things that'll make me turn on a football coach faster than anything is a football coach that throws his players and his assistants under the bus. I'm a man. I'm forty. <laughs> So, you know, I read this now. Of course, I've seen people read, well, this means they're going to go back to making movies every Every two or three years. And that's not what I'm reading here. What I'm reading is, what I'm reading here is, yeah, putting two movies out in five months was too fast. I can't help but notice that there isn't any mention of a uh, Ryan Johnson trilogy. There's not. But, I mean, this is him off the cuff answering a question. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. And... I don't think that Ryan Johnson's, I don't think they're intending for, for Ryan's movie to be next, honestly. No. Um, they're not. I, I think that it's either going to be one of these, maybe maybe this Boba Fett movie, or mm-hmm. maybe, fingers crossed, an Obi-Wan movie. Um, I, I really think that we're going to get that announcement. I mean, basically, he's at saying, celebration. We always celebration say that. Do they year. ever do it? No. No, but they're going to make announcements at next celebration. They and they're... are we going to be there? No, I'm not at all not? bitter about that. Eh. Why not? I mean, because Andrew already had our ticket. You, uh, Chicago. He didn't tell you about uh-huh, this. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Chicago. You... I don't want to tell you. <laughs> so I'm taking the slowdown to to maybe be their internal process more than like what they're putting out. You know, he says, talks about, you know, we're just at the point we're going to start making decisions about what comes next. And then there was the article a few weeks ago from Collider where they were basically saying one project at a time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I really think what that means, episode nine is set to wrap shooting in February or yeah, in February. I I honestly think that once they go to post-production in February, Mm -hmm. then Lucasfilm sits down, they have March, the part of February, part of Mar- uh, all of March, and part of April to sit down and get everything lined up. Say this is what we're doing next. They don't have to start shooting until July or August, so they can announce it at Celebration and have a movie ready. And you for... and McGregor will be there, and it will be <laughs> and, an Obi Wan movie, and have a movie ready for December of 2020. And you I still think we're going back to a movie a year. I think we're going back to a movie a year, which was technically what they're still doing, but it we is. went, they just we went so December, so May quick. instead of December, December. And yeah. I think that's the weight that he's taken on his shoulders here because there were those reports in that Collider report that he had refused to allow them to push the movie back to December and that he had mm-hmm. refused to let them start advertising any earlier than they did because he didn't want to step on the advertising for Infinity War. 
And so I think that's what he, when he says, I take that blame, I think that's what he's talking yeah. about. I do too. And, but you mentioned that you think the slowdown really is slowing down their internal process. Well, if you're slowing down what you're doing internally, then the naturally the effect of that is you're slowing down your release schedule too. Well, when I say slowing down the, the internal, I'm what I think they're doing instead of like, I think all resources are currently devoted to episode nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when, when they're done filming episode you. nine, then they will start setting up to film whatever's next. They're not going to start. They're not going to start pushing resources to actually making two movies at one time, which is what they did. Right. And I, I got you. And, and so I think that's where they're going. And I think, and I think part of the reason they're fine. doing that it's, is because they're also doing live action TV series. And I don't think they want to be, I don't think they want to be shooting two movies and a live action show at one time, which I mean, Marvel, Marvel does it, but again, Marvel's a different animal. And Marvel's got 10 take- years of doing this under their belts. Well, we, we talk about it sort of taking the blame and the responsibility for some stuff. The only the only subject we're talking about right now is the timing thing. As far as the decision making, them not having a plan, he didn't discuss any of that in the statement. True. So, but I, I do agree with Marisha, and obviously, he's not using Kathleen's escape goat for that stuff. He just re-upped her contract. Right, and and he didn't get into any of that stuff, but he did he did completely answer the question that the writer asked. Uh, because they How didn't refreshing ask. refreshing is that for somebody to actually <laughs> answer the daggum question that was asked? Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but no. we also... Iger we, is the best in the world at what he does, and, and there's nobody is. that's close. And we brought up Ryan Johnson in this conversation. It's weird to me that Ryan Johnson's trilogy isn't going to be the next one because Benioff and Weiss aren't through with Game of Thrones yet. Ryan Johnson's the only person with time to be working on his trilogy if he wanted to. That's why I actually... I actually... That's why I actually think that the next movie after episode nine will be a standalone film. And then Ryan Johnson? And then... Well, I mean, when will they... When will um, Benioff and Weiss wrap Game of Thrones? Soon. Soon. That's... Yeah, that's... The final season of Game of Thrones. Because we're looking, I mean, you've got until next July before they have to start shooting. And in theory, if there's, you know, is this the final season? They haven't even started. They're they're not. Yeah, this is the final season of Game of Thrones. But they're not. They they won't even start working on their script until they are until really until I think Game of Thrones is released that they're gonna get all this stuff out of the way they got all the press to do for it for the build-up of to game of thrones they got premieres to go to they still have a lot of even after the post-production stuff is done they still have a lot of publicity to do so i don't think until game of thrones actually hits tv i don't think many often wise are working even working on their script yeah. but i don't think until game of thrones really drops that they are going to really start just focusing on that now what are the odds that in order to free up resources over the long haul that when they do go to shoot these additional these new trilogies uh with people like db uh db weiss and uh, uh david benioff that they go to the lord of the rings model and shoot all three films back to back it's a smart idea i, I mean, mean I, I think that would be the perfect way to 
you you've got it that that way you've got it all mapped out as one consistent story mm-hmm. and you shoot it all and then it's ready to get and then then you just like one's out you're doing post on the next one mm-hmm. and that and then that frees them up to to get more done i mean because my thing is i i just can't see them going to anything other than a one a year a model and i say that just because they've already got stuff lined up if you're going to go yeah. to a two or three year model, Ryan Johnson, DB Wise, David Benioff, they ain't sticking around. They're going to go to another project. Yeah. If it's going to be 10 years before their movie gets made. Right. I mean, you know, seriously, if, if you're saying, well, we'll get to yours and like your, your first episode will air eight years from now. I'm going to go do something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You would. Yeah. We've talked about this before too. It's, it's almost like you would think, you get a you get a, a DB and Weiss movie, then you get a Ryan Johnson movie, then you get a DB and Weiss movie, then you get a Ryan Johnson. But that doesn't make sense either. You just confuse the audience. Yeah. Yes. Which which is why I think they stay with a one year model, and they're going to go through one, and then they're going to go through the other. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I I think and and they may they may alternate them, but I'm still my preference would still be to see if you're going to put them two years apart, which. You're probably, I mean, you're probably going to put them two years apart if you're not all, if you're, uh, unless they shoot them back to back, they're going to put them two years apart, which I still think means that they probably put a standalone film between them. Right. But if, if we do what you're talking about, film all three at once, you can release them. That's true. And that's what I'm saying. If they filmed them all three back to back. Then you can release them every December. You can release them back to back. Didn't mm-hmm. they? Um, didn't they release a Harry Potter movie every year? I, uh, I didn't follow that. The Deathly Hallows, the, the the Deathly Hallows Part One and Two, which were filmed simultaneously, or filmed continuously, however you want to say it, were released a year apart. The other the other ones they're two years, two years, yeah, two years right. apart, kind of yeah. And well, okay. 2001, 2002, 2004, 5, mm-hmm. 7, 9, and yeah. 10, and 11. So, yeah. one to two years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, 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 that's the typical pace for big budget movies. It is a pretty good pace. And that's, that's tying up, it ties up your actors for a long time, too. I mean, in Lord of the Rings, as much as we love all those actors now, those guys weren't, no, nobody knew who Orlando Bloom was. No, right. he hadn't done Jack. Dominic, Dominic Monaghan, for that matter. Billy mm-hmm. Boyd, you know, nobody remembered uh, Elijah Wood since Huck Finn before Thor of the Rings came out. Those guys weren't really in demand. Except people in, in Natchez. Time. Yeah, except people here in Natchez <laughs> that all remembered Elijah yeah. Wood coming here to shoot that movie. But, but no, I think I'm still feeling pretty good. It sounds like they're doing... It sounds like they're they're willing to address the fact that there's been issues because again, and we've all said it, uh, you know, Solo's a fantastic movie, mm-hmm. and the people that are refusing to see that movie because they're not going to watch another Disney Star Wars movie, they are they have no idea what they're missing. They're missing the kind of been, best version of Chewbacca we've ever seen. Yeah, I've been chuckling at people who are raving about Solo now and are actually sitting there. I'm sorry, I didn't see this in the theaters. Yep. Well, we tried to tell y'all. Yep. <laughs> you know, Star so. Wars movies never, never. I mean, there are some movies like, who cares? I'll see it when it comes out on video. Not a Star Wars movie. Star Wars movies mm-hmm. are made to be seen in a theater. 
Right. And Which is why I still hope that they too. never, ever, ever do straight to TV movies. I'm, I, I'm, I like the idea of these short TV series, but mm-hmm. I, I still think that Star Wars movies need to remain an event. It, it is. We've made this statement before. A New Hope. I had seen that Star Destroyer come across the top of a TV screen a thousand times. Right. The first time I saw it come overhead on a big screen, I had chill bumps. Yeah. It's different. Oh, yeah. It was something. It was meant to be seen in the theater for sure. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that was a, that was a cool thing. I, I kind of hope that at some point they, they do another round of theatrical releases just so my kids can watch all the, you know, all the previous mm. Star Wars movies in theaters. Cause I got to see that when I was a kid. Some places did for the 40th anniversary, but nobody near us did it. Nobody. Yeah. See, I told you we should have moved to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's probably about all I've got on my list for tonight. Unless, oh, Daniel, mm-hmm. did you have some comic book stuff? Comic book stuff. Yeah, we can go through that real quick. Um, we do have some uh, more issues have dropped since last time we talked. So, uh, of course, another issue of Vader and the main Star Wars title, the Vader title. Uh, we're still in the Castle Vader storyline. Uh, he's on his way to Mustafar, and he's got an architect with him to come design his castle. And she don't get Vader at all. So it's a very, <laughs> very interesting interaction between the two of them. Uh, about every third panel, you think Vader's getting ready to force Joker. And we also get introduced to a new Sith that uh, we had never heard about before. They're adding some stuff to the canon. I had, I had never heard of this particular Sith. And he like makes an impact. Like a historical Sith? Like a historical Sith, like an old Republic era Sith. Oh. So uh, we find out about him in the way of an artifact that emperor palpatine has gifted to vader and that plays into the story towards the end of the issue and then star wars the new star wars issue we are on we've actually had two star wars issues since last time we talked about it uh, parts five and six of the hope dies storyline princess leia actually has to lead a team onto the executor and vader's chasing her through the executor and we get to see a uh a defining moment for a character from Rogue One uh, that we never saw in the original. We did see in the original trilogy, but he played a bigger role in Rogue One. We see his defining moment in that issue, and uh, I thought it was a very fitting moment. Definitely worth it to pick up uh, the issue really just for that. And then The Hope Dies Part 6, which uh, dropped this week. We finally see the conclusion of that story and how they get out of the mess they're in. Uh, The Poe Dameron series did have its final issue this week that pickle i told y'all we left black squadron in mm-hmm. uh we see how they get out of that mess and it's a very fitting end to this series uh, we are right after the last jedi like just a just a few days after the last jedi is where this story is at the moment and of course where it ends and poe ends it with a very introspective moment at the end of it and i think it's very fitting into the series so uh Definitely pick those up. Awesome. Uh, was this the month where we getting the, you probably hadn't had a chance to look at them. Isn't this the, when the castle Vader stuff is supposed to come out, like the Halloween kind of yeah. stuff. Did those start dropping? Yes. Yet? I, I haven't seen them yet. I'm not going to sit here and lie. Cause they may have dropped and I might've missed it. My original understanding was that was supposed to come out every week in October, mm-hmm. uh, which would have been 
that the first one should have dropped yesterday. New comic book day is Wednesdays, but I did not notice and get a chance to read it yet. If it did drop, we will review what should be the first two issues of that series by the time next week gets here next week. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, uh, Marisha had to step away for a minute, but uh, we can go ahead and wrap the show up. All right, well, then I guess that's going to do it for us tonight. This has been Coruscant Radio Underground. And before we go, Andrew, where can people find you on the Internet? What do you want them to look for? Uh, people can find me at Darklighter580 on Twitter or at thesciencefictionary.com. And I am Daniel Peebles. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan C. Peeps. And as always, look for us at thesciencefictionary.com and follow us at sci underscore fictionary on Twitter. And until next time, may the force be with you.